0: Bet you thought that we were going to open up with a two Barata Nikto joke. We're, uh, we're not. That's, uh, that's not what we're going to do. Albert Brooks's movies are coming to Netflix. That's, uh, that's a thing. What the fuck was that? Your sister has turned into a zombie. What the, the fuck, fuck was that? that? Your girlfriend was a demon, too. What the fuck was that? She just ripped my pre-ripped Abercrombie. What the fuck was that? I got some Shelly on my shoe. Ew.
1: We're like babes in the wild. <laughs> Gordos in the landscape of the mind. It's going to be so subversive. They're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> so dark. Uh, <laughs>
0: Sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You've you opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Oh, hey, little nepetes.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. <laughs> it's wackadoo. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Matter of Taste. My name is Theo. I'm here with Ian. Hello. And we are discussing the, uh, the Evil Dead musical. Now, here's a question. Are we discussing the 2003 or 2006 version? Which, uh... Uh,
1: I was... oof.
0: Um, did you listen to?
1: I listened to the, uh... I believe... Well, let me check my iTunes, because now I'm (laughs) uh, second-guessing myself. But I believe I was listening to the original Broadway cast version, um, which may, in fact, have uh, differences. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I listened to the 2006 version. Okay, yeah, that's the one that I was listening to, so we're good. Okay, cool. Which would be, I guess, the off-Broadway.
0: Yeah, yeah it says that's when it opened i believe yeah but <clears throat> yeah so that's the one i listened to as well um excellent so the 2006 evil dead uh musical adaptation um so just uh just just initial thoughts on this guy what's uh what's what's your take
1: well first off i wanted to mention that i have actually seen a stage production of this musical uh, I, I have
0: not, but I mean, I've seen the, seen the movies enough to be able to weave together what, what they're pulling, you know,
1: yeah.
0: um, business from
1: for those who aren't familiar with the musical, the musical basically adapts the first movie as act one and the second movie as act two and incorporates lines from all three movies throughout the play. Um, I saw this, uh, I saw a local theater group, uh, do a production of it, uh, a few years ago. There's links to pictures of it on our Tumblr. Uh, I saw it with my friend Kelly and, uh, we sat in the splatter zone, which was an experience. Um, especially since there is one moment in the splatter zone that does not involve blood. And I will leave that to your imagination. (laughs) Um, <laughs> in any case, I actually really enjoyed this, this stage production I saw because they just had so much fun with it and, uh, like, uh, they, they honestly did a really great job of uh, just, like, going for all the campiness and the humor and stuff and uh, I think it that sort of segueing into my thoughts about the musical itself, listening to the cast album, I, uh, very much got this vibe of how much this musical is actually indebted to the movies, like to a fault mm-hmm. and how much, how hard they are trying to make jokes at sometimes, uh, that was kind of off putting to me. Like e- even that there's a clip of, uh, the, like, beginning of the song what the fuck was that on YouTube and even watching that they, it feels a little like hey we're making jokes about this cult classic and hey yeah. we, we're making we're dropping these lines from the movies wink wink nudge nudge oh damn it you took <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was gonna uh...
0: I was going to refer to it as a uh, as an industry term a bit too nudge nudge wink winky by half. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but yeah, I can imagine I, I, just listening to this was the first time I've listened to any of any of the musical. Um mm-hmm. was listening to it for this. Uh, just listening to it, I could kind of get the impression that this would be a blast to see live, but Oh yeah. It doesn't it feels like it would just benefit so much more from that live energy cuz it doesn't quite hold up as as l- on the recording i guess yeah. um just uh, not the not to you know condemn the songwriting or anything like that it's mm-hmm. just something about it it feels like well like, you know i get the jokes and i enjoyed it if if you're familiar with the uh familiar with the movies i think you'll get more enjoyment yeah uh, out of it than if you weren't but um i can imagine just seeing it live would be a blast like it seems like it it would really it just the way it's just listening to it it seems like everything about it is more conducive to the energy that having an audience around you and you know being able to be there in the room with these performers yeah uh, would give it
1: yeah there's a a certain amount of spectacle to it that you you inevitably lose if you're just listening to the recording yeah spectacle that's that's absolutely what i was going for <laughs> in that giant
0: morass of yeah fucking language there
1: well and and like you were saying uh a, a not to condemn the songwriter or anything like the, the songs in this are 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 fine songs the music is fine but more so than even like little shop of horrors which i i feel like i criticized a little bit for its campiness and for its just like, hey, you're not supposed to necessarily feel for these characters, and then when it got adapted to the movie, it's like, oh, crap, people are feeling for these characters. We can't do the original ending. Um, Even more so than that, I feel like they're really not trying to make you feel for any of the characters in this musical. It's more of just like, hey, we're going to take you on a roller coaster ride and it's going to be fun. If you just go with us on it, it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Well, yeah, I think this, uh, a lot of that is because this was written so far after the, after the movies and the, you know, video games and the comics to the point where Ash, Ash is the, you know, one line spitting pop cultural cartoon that Duke Nukem stole all of his lines from. Like, yes. <laughs> like, he's not a person anymore. He's, 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 uh, God, he's, he's, Something uh, symbolic. Something I, there's a word. Archetype? An archetype. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> an archetype. Um, he, that's what he's become at this point. So you can have a lot more unsympathetic fun in that. Uh, yeah. In that case. Um. What I wanted to. Uh, what I wanted to bring up because this is kind of riding off of that, and this is interesting because this is the first time and going off of like the, the musicals that we're discussing, the only time we'll be able to discuss a musical that quite fits in this vein, that uh, this is the first time we're talking about a musical that at at our current, first of all, is adapting an incredibly well-known property.
1: Yeah. And
0: at this point, you can possibly make arguments for Little Shop based on how well you think the Corman film was known at the time that it was adapted. Well, I mean, I'm not going to quibble over that, but what have you. But, um, at, and at the time that we're talking about it, it's, it's far from the most well-known example of that property in the media. Yeah. Like, like repo is just repo. Um, if we, if we ever end up talking about Phantom down the line, um, I mean, the, the musicals, for better or worse, far more well-known than the original novel. Um, I know there have been different versions of the Sweeney Todd story in the past, but the musical is the most well-known, you know, adaptation of that story. Yeah. And uh, what, what can you really say about Rocky Horror? We can (laughs) eventually get around to that. But in this case, it's interesting because like, I enjoyed the musical a lot, but the the movies are definitely the most well-known part of this property. Yeah. People I, the, don't. People don't musical, know. Sorry, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but people like a lot of people don't even know the musical exists. Yeah, like the the musicals, maybe in the top five. <laughs> maybe if you count all of the movies as one, it might be in the top five like adaptations of this property. <laughs> but you know, it's definitely not not the most well known example, which I think is now then really interesting because we can get into talking about the decisions of adapting a property that's already so well known in the, yeah. uh, cultural subconscious, but I'm sorry, I cut you off. What were you? No, say? I,
1: I was just, I was just going to say that like, people don't know about evil dead because of this musical. That's that I think is what? like, what basically what you were saying in, in different words. Um, like, when people hear Little Shop of Horrors, they think of the musical. When people who hear Repo, they think of the musical, because that's, that's the only incarnation of it, really. Yeah. Uh, when people think of Sweeney or Phantom, like you were saying, or Rocky Horror, they think of the musical. Evil Dead, they're not immediately going to think of this musical.
0: <laughs> now, I would argue that Repo's world-building uh, do- is conducive to other... Uh, other sort of stories being told in that world but that's a whole different conversation yes <laughs> that's that's, that's that's my that's my hill to die on <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I think it's it's really interesting and I think it's it was a it was a really good choice to not attempt to do a straight adaptation of any of the films on their own yeah and instead to try and try and like take this this idea of what the films are and, you know, use bits and pieces of all three of them to make the musical of that, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: as it were. Yeah. I should probably stop saying, as it were.
1: I feel like I'm saying it a lot. Um... (laughs) Totally fine. Yeah, it's interesting to think about... Like, there is a certain campiness to the to the movies, and uh, I think they got campier as they went on, as they became a little more self-aware, even though there is... You don't have to, don't have to say I think there. That is yeah. absolutely what happened. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, they got, they got and, way campier as they went along. And even the first movie has that vibe to it. Cert- like, I watched the first movie for the first time this afternoon, and... Uh, I, I noticed that e- even though there are a lot more moments... Like, I have Army of Darkness as comparison. I haven't seen the whole second movie, but I have seen Army of Darkness several times because it's always... It's on some weekend on Sci-Fi or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, with Army of Darkness as comparison, like, I noticed that there there's a lot of stuff that they play straight-faced in the first Evil Dead, but there's still moments where it's like, hey, this is a horror movie. We're going to... We're pulling this trope. Oh no, we're not going to pull that trope. <laughs> or we're going to make fun of this trope, um, which is one of the reasons I think that it it's it's stuck around so long is because even though it was doing some uh, really straight up horror stuff, it was all it also had a bit of that self awareness that inspired, uh, I'm sure, stuff like Scream and uh, very very directly Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, like, no, totally. it's
0: basically the same cabin. <laughs> I think it's really interesting, because I think that speaks a lot to uh, Sam Raimi's uh, skill as a director and storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody said this about Del Toro earlier today. Uh, There's a discussion going on uh, between a few, uh, a few people on Twitter that I was following, talking about... Um, if they were able to, uh, if they're going to relaunch the twilight zone, um, uh, the, the person in question, uh, I believe credit where credit is due. I think it was a conversation between, uh, at positronic woman and at, uh, die Robinson die who writes for dead shirt and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think positronic woman writes for women writing comics or women writing about comics. But, uh, the conversation Long story short, the the conversation was, uh, if someone was to relaunch, uh, the Twilight Zone today, she would want it to be Del Toro. And then it got into this very interesting conversation about how, uh, (coughs) Del Toro knows, Del Toro knows how to honor a property without being like slavishly devoted to it. Mm if that makes sense. And I think Raimi has that same skill set, which is what he's definitely showing off in, uh, the evil Dead*, where he shows, he definitely shows a reverence to these, like, um, these like old school supernatural grindhouse, uh, horror movies, but he's not chained. He's not exactly chained to the tropes of the genre. And he's not simply, uh, he's not spitting out something we've seen before. He's, he's telling his own story. Um, and Del Toro's shown us that he can absolutely do that with things like Pacific Rim and Crimson Peak, which are, Mm -hmm. you know, the, that's all they are. It's, he's taking this genre that he loves, but without feeling beholden to everything that's come before, telling his own unique story about it. Mm -hmm. Um, which the argument there was that would be conducive to a reboot of The Twilight Zone, which I agree with. All of this to say that I think that's part of the reason that Evil Dead is such a classic. Um is because it takes <clears throat> it takes this very well worn ground, but with with a certain degree of reverence to what has come before injects a whole new life into it,
1: yeah rather and it's like rather than being just a straight up satire of the horror genre it's it's humor is more I think it's a little more derived in the absurdism that you can get out of the horror genre with all, with all this supernatural stuff going on. Um, and with that said, I don't know
0: if uh if the musical could exist on its own yeah. i i would put it almost in the same not to say uh, this this is an argument that ah uh, sh- shit were you in history of the book? I don't remember uh was that first semester of thought class in freshman year? no, that was a book we read. Yeah, well, history it? of the book was a Robin Robinson class.
1: Oh, I'm thinking Robinson. of the uh, history of reading, which was in our thought class. Yeah. This was We've had this discussion before on the podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it it's confusing, but yeah, no, history of the book was a Robertson class. I think this is where we talked about Oh no, shit, it would have been novel. And you yeah, were...
1: Which I was not Where
0: we talked about satire.
1: Yes. We talked it okay, we also we talked, talked about, about the like the anti novel and stuff like that. Yeah, we also talked about satire in history of the book,
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> and used it in opposition to the New Critics. Ah, so I would put, <clears throat> I would put um, the Evil Dead musical in the same space I would put satire in reference to that argument, in that I don't think it's possible to give the Evil Dead musical a fair shake if you approach it in a vacuum. Yeah. You can't use the new critical angle of nothing else exists but this now judge it on its own merits. I don't think that would be fair, because that's not that's not what this is trying to accomplish. It's I mean all respect to the people who wrote it, and I hope that this is I hope that I'm on the right track when I'm saying this, even though again we come back to argue authorial intent doesn't matter, I just don't want to insult yeah. anybody. I don't think the musical is really trying to tell its own story. It's trying to be a celebration of this story that everyone already enjoys.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: which is why I think it also occupies sort of the same space as like the uh, uh, Spamalot, the Monty Python musical. Ah. Or, uh, or Silence, which we've referenced before. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, Although that's more of like a tongue-in-cheek kind of, uh, you know, uh, good-natured prodding at Silence mm-hmm. of the Lambs. This is, this is, I feel more of a straightforward celebration of, uh, of the Evil Dead movies. But again, I, 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 don't think it would be fair to try and judge this, judge this musical in a vacuum.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I it, you remind me that I was going towards a point and then we kind of tangented before is that the movies have like a campiness and a sort of absurdist humor. Whereas the, like you were saying, the musical, it, it definitely is it definitely skews more towards comedy than horror when it, in comparison to the movies. And it is going for it. Like, like you were saying, it's a different, it's a different style of humor. Um. Yeah. I just remember that I was like, I was working up to something earlier and I don't think I've ever, I ever got there. <laughs> um. <clears throat> But yeah, like stuff like the song All the Men in My Life Keep Getting Killed by Kandarian Demons. Which is
0: one of what an amazing song title. <laughs> <laughs> what, what a beautiful song title. Mm-hmm. Oh goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because
1: of because of that, the fact that like you were saying, you can't really judge this in a vacuum. You can't judge it on its own merits without talking about the the movies. Uh, I think that's why there were certain things about listening to this musical back again, uh, that sort of left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Right. Um, and especially like the fact that like they, well, again, uh, sort of comparing it to the stage production I saw, I feel like working on that off Broadway production, they were really working hard to make sure they had someone who looked and sounded like Bruce Campbell, uh, Whereas that wasn't as that like with a local theater production, if that's one of the things that you're caring about, then they, you're gonna have a tough time getting your cast together. <laughs> I think oh. you just gotta make sure he's got a good jaw, man.
0: <laughs> the jaw is the most important part of any Campbell character. Like the the rest of the face, it's it's fine if he looks like him, but the jaw is
1: really the sticking point. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. When you watch this musical, you're not thinking of Ash as this character like, uh, like say, just for, just throwing a, a random example out there like Mina Harker. Mina Harker is a character who's been adapted many different times in many different ways, and there's no, I wouldn't say there's any one single actress you could say that's that's the true Mina Harker. Whereas with a character like Ash or a character like Captain Kirk, up until recently, it's like, well, Ash is Bruce Campbell. Captain Kirk is, uh, uh, oh my gosh, why is my brain blanking? William Shatner, buddy. William Shatner. (laughs) Old Billy Shatz. How did my, that was a serious brain fart. That was Um, rough.
0: They were actually just talking to each other the other day.
1: (laughs) Bruce Campbell and William Shatner?
0: Yeah, on Twitter. It was pretty fun.
1: That's amazing. Them and Lucy
0: Lawless. Somebody was cracking jokes about the Evil Dead TV show.
1: Uh, I'm just looking at the songs on Wikipedia, and it's like, Join Us, as sung by Cheryl, Moose, and House Spirits. Oh, man. Ode to an
0: Accidental Stabbing. There's just... All of the, the song titles are amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and again, like... I've talked before on this podcast about how I have some uh, I I have uh, a tenuous relationship with campiness and like overt, like, hey, look how funny we're being stuff like that. And in certain cases, I like it works for me. In other cases, it doesn't really work for me. Like do the Necronomicon is utterly uh, forgettable to me. It's clear that they're trying to do like a do the time like a time warp type thing with it. Oh yeah, literally, that's obvious. But it, it just it doesn't work for me because not only is it trying to it, not only is it trying to reference Evil Dead, now it's trying to reference Rocky Horror and it's just like this is not its own thing in any way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could see how that might that might put you off. But again, I, I, I think I agree with your verdict on it being forgettable it's not it doesn't like actively harm the story or anything Mm -hmm. it is it is kind of forgettable
1: and i could see the like again not to be too critical of the writer of this musical but i could see someone writing this musical being like oh we got to do we got to do a dance number called do the necronomicon that's that'll be fantastic (laughs) I have stuff that I could talk about. Was there anything I, uh, like particular that you wanted to bring up before I go off on an Ian tangent? <laughs> you can go off on a U-tangent. I'm okay. sure I'll come back to something. <laughs> okay. Um, One of the things that like I appreciate about the Evil Dead movies, and even certain points in the Evil Dead uh, musical, is that even though there is this campiness to it, even though there is a sense of humor to it, there are some genuinely uh, disturbing things that happen in this, this in these stories. We're, we're not going to talk about the tree stuff. That's just, I, I don't even want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. But I'm talking about stuff like Join Us, which, especially in the musical, like, Join Us is a moment in the musical that I think actually captures something that you can't get in the movies because the movies are not a musical. Why don't you just accept your fate and join us, Ashley? Join us! (laughs) Don't you want to join the crew? You'll be dead and evil too. The coolest thing to do is join us. huh? Your life sucks, you know. Working ass smart's got to blow. Don't be just a fucking schmo. And join us. You'll be dead with no remorse and be hung like a horse. You can even bang a corpse if you join us. To evil, you succumb, so just lay down that big gun and join our dark army of
0: evil Cantarian demons as we conquer this land and take over each and every soul of the living. No, 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 I'm not gonna join you,
1: never! Um, although I I guess they're sort of hearkening to the moment in the movie where, like, the uh, moose on the wall starts laughing and, uh, Everything else in the room starts laughing and then Ash starts laughing madly and that just sort of, again, weird, absurdist, funny, but also disturbing moment. Cause it's like, you know, he's kind of fucked right now. This is, <laughs> this is him being totally like screwed. Um, and, uh, the way they do it in the musical just creates this whole other level of, uh, disturbingness because it's this very sing-songy like carnival ride type thing where it's like we got your hand and uh like there again there's on the one level it's like this is hilarious and on another level it's like this is fucked up (laughs) yeah and uh sort of going back to the original point i was making there's like certain moments where they really embrace the fact that this is a horror story. And so they can go to these disturbing places with it. Like the fact that none of the movies really, uh, none of the movie movies gravitate towards a tidy, happy ending. And it's the same thing with the musical. The musical kind of, uh, sort of goes with the ending from army of darkness, actually. Uh, but like you get to the end of, uh, the first Evil Dead movie, and it's like, yeah, Ash. Well, until like the sort of twist, last, final moment. It's like Ash survived, but it it was like barely, yeah. <laughs> and everyone else died, and he still went through this horrible torture. <laughs> I actually wasn't, like, one thing that I wasn't expecting was the whole burning the Necronomicon, because I had never seen the the original movie, and I hadn't, I, I that wasn't part of a musical, not that I remember.
0: Well, it's not the nef- uh, the Necronomicon in the uh, the original movie.
1: Oh, yeah. They, that's what, the other thing I noticed, watching the first movie and then the trailer for the second movie, is they don't refer to it as the Necronomicon. Yeah, in the first
0: movie, it is the Naturum Demonto. Uh, de mm-hmm. So different evil book. The Necronomicon doesn't get name checked until the 3rd movie, I don't think.
1: Yeah. I wonder if they were just like, you know, we've 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 had this Lovecraft influence. Let's just be on the nose about it now. <laughs> yeah, just just embrace it. <laughs> just embrace it. Um uh, Yeah, I don't think
0: it's until the 3rd movie that they reference the fact that uh Ash works in Housewares. Oh yeah. I think that's when that comes up, is actually the stinger of the third movie. Yeah. Which is weird because, like, in other, in other aspects of the, like, other uh, iterations of the franchise, that becomes, like, strangely important. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's something that comes up a lot, either for, like, I'm I'm not saying it's, like, important myth arc shit, but, like, it gets used for gags. Yes. Um, like the boomstick line. I think yeah, just because it's a pretty it's one of those like little things about a character that what am I trying to what am I trying to articulate oh, here? I I
1: I understand what you're talking about. It's 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 a it's a way to humanize the character. It's a way to make him a little more than just an archetype by giving him some more specificity. It's like, oh, he's just a guy who works at a store. Yeah, no, I I think that's definitely part of it.
0: I think what I what I was getting at was something much less, uh, much less humanistic, uh, Uh, just from like a craft standpoint. I I just think it's interesting how something that we find so iconic about a character can come up like weirdly late in development or show show up at odd places, uh, show up in odd places during, uh, during serialized storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, the, like, from a from a very broad perspective, you look at the fact that, like, early early Batman stories have him using guns, mm-hmm. or, you know, we're a horror podcast, the fact that Jason doesn't get his mask until the third, like, halfway through the third movie. Oh, yeah. It's it's interesting how something that becomes inseparable from the idea of a character, uh, where it can show up in the character's development, and it seems odd when it's not there.
1: Mm-hmm. Or even the fact that Hannibal didn't become an icon until Silence of the Lambs. I mean, that's a kind of, that might be an entirely different discussion, but it's sort of, that, that sort of, that might be more akin to the ring and the hobbit becoming the one ring in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's something that was there, uh, whereas you're talking about something that was introduced much later on. Um, so yeah, my, my contribution was useless. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't useless. We're, you know, we're
0: really, we're really strict on content in this podcast. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, just again, from a writing perspective, I guess I find that fascinating mm-hmm. as just cu- coming from, from the position of a writer. Yeah. Uh,
1: but the musical. But, but the musical. <laughs> do you have a favorite song?
0: <sighs> I don't know. I do actually really like All the Men in My Life Keep Getting Killed by Candarian Demons. All the men in my life keep getting killed by Candarian Demons the Men in your life keep getting killed by Candarian demons. First, there was Ed, a really nice guy. Didn't talk too much, but I didn't mind. I was all set to marry him. But before we could consummate, Ed was killed by a Candarian demon. Candarian demon, Candarian demon. Kandarian
1: demon. It, it, it's that that was one that, like, when the song started up, when I saw the title and when I saw the song, when the song started up, I was like, that was one of those moments where I was like, uh, I feel like I'm trying a little too hard. And then you get to the end of the song, I'm like, okay, that was pretty good. I feel like it earns it. <laughs> it, it earns <laughs> I mean, yeah. it by the end of the song. By the end of the song. Also, my tolerance for camp is, like, way high.
0: Oh, yeah. Like my criticism about of do the Necronomicon is definitely more about like uh, this is kind of Rocky horror thing than it is about the camp at all. Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: Honestly, like, like I mentioned on Twitter when I was doing my little live tweet thing there, I think We Will Never Die sticks with me because it is one of those moments where it's like, okay. We've had some fun here with all this campiness and stuff, but you're gonna die. Like, this is shit has gone to hell, literally, in a hat basket. And, uh like it's one of those moments where it like it's almost like the comedy in spite of itself beers into true horror yeah <laughs> uh and then they again they like it from my perspective they kind of ruin it with that line in the middle of the song right before the guitar solo starts up I can't remember what it is uh we're like it's we're gonna kick you in the ass or something like that just something really very like low brow crass type thing, oh <laughs> uh, okay, um, I can't remember what, what the line was off the top of my head, but like i I also when i after I mentioned that on Twitter, I thought to myself, you know is is it like it's kind of telling that both of the songs that stood out to me in Little Shop of Horrors and this musical meaning supper time and we will never die. Is part of the reason I like them so much because they are probably, out of all the s- songs in each of the musicals, the most Pink Floydy. y <laughs> Because Suppertime, you listen yeah, to that... So on brand. So on brand. <laughs> like Because Suppertime, you listen to that, and then you listen to a song like One of My Turns from uh, uh, The Wall, and those are very much in the same sort of... Uh, uh, they're not, I'm not saying, like, they're rip-offs of each other or anything, but they're in the same sort of wheelhouse or genre or, or arena. And then uh, We Will Never Die, The and again, this is, I said not to call it a rip-off with Supper Time, but with this, I, there's a little bit of me that's like, is it because the melody to We Will Never Die almost has an, another brick-in-the-wall feel. Oh. Um, but, uh, but even, then I think part of the reason I like We Will Never Die on a musical level is because it is, it, it starts to get into that more heavy metal epicness, uh, that whereas a lot of the other songs are written, the style is written in contrast to the content. That one is written in correlation with the content. Like this is, this, this musical style feels appropriate for the moment that's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Can I tell you about the act break? Because you, you you don't uh, quite experience it the same way on the listening to the cast recording. I, I would imagine you don't. Uh, the if I recall correctly, the way Act One ends. Uh, yeah, at, at this point, because it, it's during the Join Us song that the demons take over Ash's hand, which actually happens in the second movie, I believe. Um, yeah, because it didn't happen in the first movie when I was watching mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, the second movie, uh, ups the camp a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, Join Us, mid-act one is where, they take over his hand and uh he ends up having to chainsaw his hand off and replace it with the iconic chainsaw thing which again talking about stuff that gets introduced later uh i mean the chainsaw is present in the movie but it doesn't become an iconic part of the character until the second movie right um but uh so he's got the chainsaw hand and uh, they have the so that happens before ash and linda sort of have their they sort of reunite uh, in the musical and uh Linda Demon almost tricks Ash into like just giving himself over. And then he chops her up like he does in the first movie and he uh, places her head uh, on this table and uh he, the last song of the first act, he's talking about how he's not, a, I, it's called I'm not a killer, I guess. And he's talking about how he doesn't want to uh, kill Linda, but then he, chainsaws her with like singing these like big loud notes and uh, me and my friend Kelly are sitting there in the splatter zone and it's just there's all this blood spurting up from uh, the head on stage and then the splatter zone basically it's not getting splattered by stuff on stage it's there are hoses above the splatter zone that (laughs) make blood just pour out of (laughs) yeah I noticed that in
0: the picture you retweeted
1: yeah uh, so, uh, while this stuff is going on on stage, we're just getting, uh, hosed, literally <laughs> hosed down with, with buckets of blood and then, uh, act break, we get time to look at the floor and be like, crap, we are just, we are sitting, we are literally sitting in a pool of, uh, of fake blood and then... <laughs> Act two opens up on the same moment. So act two opens up and they're just pouring blood down again, again, down on you. And he's still singing like, die, die. Still sawing into, into Linda's head.
0: Oh, that's pretty fantastic.
1: Yeah. Like I said, being at the actual show was pretty, pretty fun. And there's also like a certain, uh, I, I haven't seen a whole ton of musical theater, that said i've probably seen more than the average person because i'm into musical theater uh but there is something to be said about how when when you as an audience member go and see a musical and you watch these actors perform an entire story and like actors i think will will talk about this too there's a certain camaraderie that you develop between uh, the actors and the audience where it's like we just experience this whole thing together Mm-hmm. And it's intensified if you get to talk with the actors afterwards, which I did get a chance to. I didn't, we didn't stick around long talking to them, but it was cool meeting them and stuff. So it is, it, it is interesting uh, watching a musical like this and feeling like, uh, in a like a uh, feeling. It's something that you can only get in a live performance. You can't get it from watching a movie uh, or a TV show or something like that. Because you're literally physically in the same room as them, and you're experiencing the story in the same way as the actors are, in complete chronological order rather than for a movie they might film scenes out out of order and stuff. Because of that, you do feel like you've developed a certain relationship with the actors on stage, uh especially if everyone uh, in the the audience and everyone on stage is just getting doused and doused with blood
0: <laughs> yeah i'd actually ugh, i'd have to go back and rewatch it to to uh be able to give a, an like a an accurate uh idea of what he says but on the uh <clears throat> on the concert DVD Beside You in Time, uh, Trent Reznor talks a lot about that just in terms of live music. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a whole, r- a real interesting spiel on, on that talking about, um, how like at the end of a concert it feels like you and the audience have gotten through something together and, you know, there's, there's like a bond there. It's it. He talks about it for quite a bit. It's, but it's a really interesting. Uh, interesting piece. I think that's on one of the, like, special features of Beside You in Time, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Which I think, I think was for the With Teeth tour, I want to say. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think it was Year Zero. I think that was the With Teeth tour. But, anyway, uh, yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely see having, like, again, not to, not to say a more emotional response, but a very different emotional response. Yeah. In a live show. Because uh, I feel like, I feel like watching, watching a film or reading a book just pings very different emotional centers than watching a live show does.
1: Yeah. Well, and especially, uh, especially if it's horror, which, I feel like it I don't think it's unfair to say that it is tougher or you don't see horror done on stage in live theater as often as other genres of story. Um I think I there's about that in like our first episode. Yeah, and I I think there is uh there is something to be said about how like, I think a lot of people believe it to be a little more difficult to do in a live setting, which I would be inclined to agree with them. Um, and it, because horror is such a, like... Horror just operates on such a... I, it's like, I, now, as I'm thinking about saying this, I don't want to be like, oh, horror's the best genre or anything like that, but horror does work on a different emotional level than other genres. Uh, whether it's because they, the writer wants you to put yourself in the character's place or, or it's, or they just want to try and freak the hell out of you or it's like, and this is, this is my brain is starting to just lose any sense of structured thought because we're getting into a very big, broad concept. Yeah. Discussion. Um, and yeah, you don't want to make like big sweeping
0: statements that yeah that you're going to regret. Yes, I know what you're talking about, but I, I do see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I think horror. <laughs> Here's the part of the podcast where we make statements on the philosophy of horror. Yes, horror horror as a, as a genre gets. Is, is more often allowed to play with much, uh, much higher, higher pitched emotions, I want to say, mm-hmm. than a lot of other genres normally, normally do. Yeah.
1: I agree uh, with I think that.
0: It has more freedom there. Um, just by the nature of what you're doing, like what, the the images themselves uh they strike a different chord in people mm-hmm. and now we're I'm basically not saying anything <laughs> but um but yeah I can kind of see that and uh there's also the thing that like <clears throat> there's <laughs> cuz there there are productions that i would consider somewhat theater that i feel like are much more horrifying but i also have no interest in whatsoever uh-huh. like talking about sort of those like extreme haunted houses uh oh. where i'm like that seems like it's full-on horror and they they're not experiencing any of that difficulty that we're talking about but also i don't know i don't want to go to those <laughs> That doesn't sound like my idea of a super fun ice cream time. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just me. I like to, you know, go and watch a horror movie and there's the distance of a screen and, you know, hypothetically, several interlying dimensions between me and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and just investing myself psychically in, psychically and emotionally in this <laughs> story as opposed to putting myself in what my brain will then convince me is physical harm's way. Um, <laughs> even though I can kind of rest assured that these people are going to not harm you, you know? Like, and, I don't know. Um, yeah, that, that whole... If you ever fall in that, like, wiki wormhole, just looking at those, like, extreme haunted houses and that kind of thing, I, I just find myself reading that, like, who? Why... I don't know who would be interested in that. I don't know. And that's not, I, I'm not trying to be like dismissive or anything. No. I honestly, I honestly just don't know. I, I don't know who that audience is. I, I'd be interested to talk to somebody who that's for. Cause I, on a fundamental level, don't understand. Um, <laughs> yeah. And again not trying to be dismissive at all I just just don't understand who that's for. Yeah. Um and now we've gone on another weird tangent. Yes. But um but yeah so that's that to me is a sort of live like 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 live stage production of horror that ignores or fa- found a way to supersede these difficulties that we talk about when we talk about um live horror. Mm-hmm. It's it's found a way around them. Yeah but also it did that and alienated a large portion of its audience. Cause I would imagine that, uh, I would have to imagine that a large number of the horror movie like viewing public, cause I mean, they're not superhero movies, but they made money, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, and I would have to imagine that that alienates a large portion of
1: Uh, Are you still talking about the extreme haunted house? Yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Yeah. No, no, I'm not saying that like a live stage production alienates that. I'm saying like those, because, because they've found a way to sort of get around that, that difficulty in distance that we're talking about when we're talking about like stage musicals. And then also you you have the whole idea of the musical that you have to juggle too, which that's, that's an additional difficulty that they don't have to worry about, but that's, That's kind of an aside. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I feel like a a stage production that's not a musical can, it's definitely much easier for them to achieve a certain level of dread on the stage than it is for a
1: musical to do so. Yeah. I, I just a quick aside, speaking to that, I've, Ever since I saw, I, ever since I watched Bug and uh, found out that it was based on a play, I've always wondered what that play must be like. Watching it, yeah, no, that's come up a couple of times. I'd be very interested to know what
0: that play is like because
1: I, I don't believe a, and we talked about Blood Wedding before that I think might be one of the only like straight up horror plays I've seen, and even that I don't know if classifying it as horror is diminishing it in some way because it's not just like it's not like a slasher it's not like a uh it's not a typical horror story or even well let's say i'd be
0: careful with that because then that's to say that calling it a horror story is to diminish it i think horror is definitely a part of what's going on
1: yeah and it's
0: definitely it's definitely a play engineered to make the audience uncomfortable yes like that's one hundred percent in. That's that's what they're trying to do. There's no way. There's no way that's not what they're trying to do. Yeah. I would call bullshit if you argue that 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 was like a comforting play. Yeah. Um, and I like I enjoyed that play a lot.
1: That was that was a fascinating play.
0: <laughs> the production that we saw was also pretty well put
1: together. Yeah,
0: the stage was really creepy. Um,
1: dude, everybody put on a hell of a performance. Yeah, I. I remember enjoying it. I couldn't tell you what that show was about. Oh, God, no. Like, somebody got lost in the woods, I think. <laughs> like There, the, the, there her... were
0: two families that were just having none of each other, from what I remember. Like, um,
1: the moon came down incarnate as a human being, I think. And then had a song, and it was the only song in the play. No, well, it wasn't the only song, because Anik's character also had a song. She did oh, she? Yeah, she was like the old grandmother or something, and as she's rocking there, I think she sings a lullaby. Oh, I think you're right. Uh, the only reason I remember that is because I think that was part of the reason Anik was cast for the role was because she, she could sing. <laughs>
0: uh, I, yeah, I would imagine so. She is. She is a really good voice. Um, God, and, and, you know, oh, that the language in that play was so specifically off-putting. <laughs> it was like it was like two degrees starboard of normal.
1: <laughs> oh man, blood wedding. <laughs>
0: This is, yeah, No, that tells you how much that play sticks with you. We saw that, I saw that once, years ago. And I'm still having the most visceral memories. Yeah. (laughs) Of that play. Like, and not, again, not specific ones, but... Exactly. I know, I I couldn't tell you what they said, but I know how I felt about what they said.
1: (laughs) It's such a weird thing. (laughs) Because, listeners, I am... Like, everything Theo's saying right now, I totally connect with. (laughs) I couldn't tell you why. Maybe if you've seen Blood Wedding, you would understand, but... Man, was that a weird fucking play.
0: If... Yeah, if you have seen Blood Wedding, please drop us a line. (laughs) And, uh... Let us know that we're not experiencing a localized phenomenon here and that everybody feels that way about that play. Yeah, like... Please like, do.
1: <laughs> like, I, like, I'm starting to wonder, is this, is this like, a fraction of what it must feel like to watch the Yellow play? Maybe. Because, <laughs> like, it's the sort of thing where the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. Oh, man. But, Evil Dead, though. <laughs> Evil Dead musical... <laughs> Even though it's Lovecraftian inspired, and even though watching the movie today, the first movie, I realized, wow, they just, this third act rolled around and they said, they just were like, what plot? What do you mean plot? (laughs) Um, It's still kind of, it it makes more sense than Blood Wedding. Mm. Not to say that Blood Blood Wedding doesn't make sense, though, because there is, uh, uh, the more we talk about it, the more we're going to just... Anyway, what were you going to say? Yeah,
0: I'd, put it, I'd put it on the same level as, like, um,
1: oh, uh, have you seen Neon Demon? No, I haven't.
0: I'd put it on that kind of, not, okay, if anybody's seen Neon Demon and you're listening to this, it's nowhere near that uh, that grotesque. <laughs> but um, Neon Demon makes sense in an emotional way but not in a plot way. <laughs> like don't get yeah, just don't bother following the plot. Just go <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to think about because I love the hell out of it, but I also want to say like <laughs> Yeah, it's so difficult to try and get across what I'm saying. But it does, it, it makes more sense. This is something that we were talking about in the third season of Hannibal as well. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense on an emotional level and not, it's not trying to make sense on a logical level, so don't try to make it. It's, that's not what it's trying to do. It's trying to make sense on a thematic and emotional level. Yeah. That's where it really
1: works. Like would, that's, it be, would it be fair to say that it's it's, like, David Lynch also comes into this sort of conversation. I think. Yeah,
0: I, yes, there, there's some shades of lynch going on. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's, that's kind of what blood wedding's like. Um, but, uh, Evil Dead, when you were, when you were talking about, <laughs> when you were live tweeting it, I found it funny. When you were talking about the Dutch angles, I was like, oh oh, my- come on, uh, come on, dude, even the posters on a Dutch angle, you had, they told you what you were getting into.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's like, there's a point where Ash and his sister, Cheryl, uh, they, they get in the car and they're going to leave and they find that, they find the bridge broken out. But like, when Ash first gets out of the car, not, and he starts walking, like, sort of towards the camera and then off camera, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: not only is the camera at a Dutch angle, but I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know how exactly they did it. I don't know if like the, the car was filmed separately or if they literally had like a different, like, it, it. like when he starts walking towards the camera, he is at a Dutch angle, but the car is not. The car and the road are not. And so that is incredibly off-putting. <laughs> um, but yeah, like <laughs> again, because of, because a lot of that stuff is intentional about this movie and you can tell, like you were saying, it's like, like, you knew what, you know what you're getting into. <laughs> is there anything else we want to say about the evil dead musical?
0: I don't think so. I mean, we, we talked about it for a solid half of the podcast and, uh, <laughs> the rest of the episode we spent on other stuff, but I mean, sort of <laughs> like the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's difficult to dig pretty critically into the evil dead musical. Like I, I, it is. It's a celebration of the movies, and I think if we were going to talk about the movies, we would have to give them their own episode. Like I, yes. I feel bad talking about talking about the Evil Dead series on a on an episode that's ostensibly about the musical. Yeah. Because I feel like then we wouldn't really be giving the series due deference because that deserves kind of its own its own episode if that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So I mean, maybe look forward to that in the future. We'll uh, we'll sit down. And, uh, do an Evil Dead rewatch and do, uh, do an episode about that. Yeah. Um, oh, announcements. I'm going to be showing up on a random episode of GenreBot again. Oh, cool. Where, uh... <laughs> uh, so Vic, Vic has been on the podcast before. Um, Ian and I have both been on his podcast, GenreBot. Vic and I, for going on eight years now, have been arguing about the Blade films, Uh-huh. Uh, because I dare to uh, adhere to the very real, true, and observable fact that Blade 2 is better than Blade 1. <laughs> so we finally sat down, all four of us, and watched both of them back-to-back, and then had a talk about how Blade 2 is better than Blade 1, and Vic should stop arguing. <laughs> he, he fell asleep halfway through 2, so we didn't really get to talk about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> that will be coming out, so um keep an eye out, I guess, because that's that's interesting because it's kind of it's a they're sort of horror films, so it does connect to our wheelhouse a little bit as yeah. well.
1: I mean but, it's vampires.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, especially in two, when you've got Del Toro doing it, yeah. super vampires, there's some there's some pretty cool horror elements going on there. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I think that's that's about all I have for the Evil Dead musical. Um uh what uh what do we have coming up next? Is that Sweeney Todd we're doing next?
1: Yes. Excellent. I am excited to talk about Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. And honestly, just a quick aside before we go, I uh, I'm excited like the movie gets a lot of flack and, uh, we'll get into that on the actual episode, but I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to watching the movie again. I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed uh, the movie too. I, it, like, and I haven't seen it since college, I think. I saw it in theaters when it first came out, and I watched it again in college with some friends. Uh, but I haven't watched it in a while, so. I'm looking yeah, to I think
0: it. The, my only two sticking points with the movie were the movie's version of My Friends. And also, they cut out a verse of uh, A Little Priest, which is my oh, favorite yeah. song, because it's wall-to-wall puns. Yes. But, I uh... mean, it's... <laughs> L- listeners. listeners. <laughs> it's it's three minutes of just puns. It's amazing. Cannibal puns. It's the greatest. <laughs> um, but anyway, that'll, that'll be next week, and you'll get to hear us rant about how A Little Priest is just fucking amazing. Oh, it's such a good song. <laughs> it's, it's pretty fantastic. <laughs> but, uh, so I hope you'll, uh, you'll join us then. Uh, you'll be hearing the ways to contact us in just a moment, and, uh, I hope you have a good night.
1: Good night. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at a matter of taste podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AMOT podcast. Find full episode posts at a matter And follow us as a Matter of Taste podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.
0: That's what we're here to talk about. That's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> we're here to talk about is the Evil Dead musical. Yes. So, so let's talk more about that.